it's 10 million times better than I thought it would feel and um, for everything that I feel like I've put in the hard work over the years it's you know to see it pay off like that is, is special. Matt Fitzpatrick, major champion. How does that sound? Pretty damn good if you ask me. What a performance by the young Englishman to win the US Open Championship last night at Brookline. Or the country club, to be more accurate, in Brookline, in Massachusetts. Matt Fitzpatrick is a major winner. Incredible stuff. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. We have a packed episode for you this week. Genuinely loads and loads to get through US Open. But a part of that, what I honestly I'm I'm buzzing about this episode, Bryce. I don't know about you. Good. Excellent. Yes. Bryce is almost there. Bryce Ritchie, <laughs> Bunker editor. Good morning. I didn't realise you were going to bring me in right there. I was I kind of checking my trousers were sitting right. But I'm here. That's the most I'm important here. thing. And I agree, I'm buzzing as well. How are you? I am good. But I think we're both a little bit bleary-eyed. Typical US-based major championship finish, early hours of the morning, you're like, uh, uh, the next day. Yeah, but, it's but a lot, it was good. It's a lot easier to stay awake when it's not dull. <laughs> Let's be honest. PGA. Hello, PGA. That was a struggle. But not last night. Last night was great, wasn't it? It certainly was. It was a fantastic, fantastic championship, I thought, from start to finish. And lots of reasons for that, which we'll come to. But first of all, Bryce, I need to tell you something. Tell me something, Michael. I went to see the Buzz Lightyear movie at the weekend. <laughs> it's amazing. Genuinely, it's amazing. I don't think I'm going to go and see it. Why? Because I'd rather see Top Gun again. Oh, I'm going to go and see that too. But four-year-old daughter, she is Toy Story mad. She saw the trailer. Her older cousin sent her the the clip. That's the thing. Like my my nephew is like twelve, and he's now sending me DMs on Instagram. Have you seen this? Show this to your daughter. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he was uh, very keen for us to go and see it. We did go and see it. I loved it. We girl. Not so much. A little bit scary. i tell you what though, how much did it cost you? The tickets for the three of us, me, my wife and the wee girl, £30. For the food, another £30. Really? Like that. I, I saw, what did I go and see last week? Jurassic Park. I spent £52 at the cinema <laughs> last week for two people. Two for pe- two? Two people, £52. Admittedly, when I go to the cinema, I buy a lot of food. Yeah, yeah, listeners, you should be aware, Bryce likes his cinema scran. I'm a big uh, nachos. Eater. <laughs> nachos with chilies, extra chilies, cheese. What do you call those things? Popcorn. He gets sweets. But 52 quid. That's an absolute joke, frankly. I, I know it's been a tough couple of years. They're trying to recoup some of the money. But come on. Come on. Anyway. Bryce is not the guy you want to sit next to the cinema. That's why I'll never go to the cinema. I don't you, because um, of the noise of the crunching. I don't see what's wrong with that. It's you meant did it selfhood for a reason. I know, but still. I'm not loud. Well, I'm with the nachos. To be fair. Suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're listening and you've got kids, take them to see Buzz Light. You're just prepared for them to be absolutely terrified. It's right. not that scary, but no. there are there are some moments. But that was a nice little break from watching the golf i had to do some family time in amongst it and it was father's day yesterday oh yeah did you get anything well i had to ask for my card for the second year in a row <laughs> one o'clock in the afternoon can i get my father's day card now and the wife is like oh yeah how does she not remember uh, to be honest it's because we we don't really care in our house we don't mother's day is a waste of time in our house as well we just don't bother we just get a card and there you go we don't do any lunches see people that go out 
for Mother's Day lunch and Father's Day lunch, there's something wrong with them. Mind you, I'll, on. I'll be honest, I went out for lunch yesterday and dinner. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm saying that. Uh, no, Father's Day and Mother's Day, no, we don't really bother with that. I sent my dad a text. And every year I send my dad a text saying, Happy Father's Day, this is your card. He says, thanks. That's it. It's sincere. It's heartfelt. It is heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Father's Day, it was a good one for Russell Fitzpatrick, his eldest, Matt, winning the US Open. Nine years ago, Matt won the US Amateur did at he? the same venue. Did, nobody said Nobody mentioned that. I did not know that. Nah, nobody said. Yeah, no, it was great. It, Your general thoughts on the... T- I mean, we'll come to Matt in a bit more detail in a second, but as a, as a championship price, what did you think uh, of the US Open? The golf course was fantastic. I had the fear because it was a hybrid set up. I think mm. they had a hole that had never been used before. I think they were technically using something like three loops of a nine or something. I don't know. There was some weird setup they were using. thought the golf course was sensational. I could see a few people saying it wasn't a typical US Open setup. I thought they wanted faster greens. I didn't think the greens were as fast as people were making out. Certainly not in previous years. I thought they got their rough, perfect. It just had some cool, some cool options. Like you could see guys hitting driver and the other guys hitting hybrid fairways. Thought Rory the first couple of days will get to Rory in a minute. Thought his game plan in the first round was just unreal. The golf course made that tournament. Yeah, hundred percent. And then the players turned up and delivered. That's the thing. I thought the the golf course. It was interesting watching different players and their different strategies. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like everyone was playing it exactly. That's the a same sign way. of a good course. And that's exactly. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. I'd love to go and play it. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I don't, as we said in the pod last week, I don't really remember it that well from the '99 Ryder Cup, for example. Yeah, well, different setup. So yeah, but all those like old rock formations and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It, was, it was just. I don't remember cool that, but maybe that was. I mean, I, that probably wasn't even used in '99. <laughs> that's the thing. I don't. It's the cop. If you read any articles about this course setup, it's very complicated to work yeah. out what hole was what from what course and what direction. So I thought, just as a spectacle, it looked great. It did really, did. really impressive. And if nothing else came from the week, I now know how to pronounce the nineteen thirteen U.S. Open winner's name. Yes, we all kind of got that wrong, didn't yes. we? Yes, Francis. We may no. In fact, it's Francis. We met. We met. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. Did, did, you, did you know that he won in 1913? Won what? The US Open. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're laughing. Oh. There was an awful lot of padding done. We get it. They're long broadcasts. Yes. But my word. Did you see, they only did it once last night. I was heartbroken. Did you see the NBC promo for the Open Championship? Yes. With the Scottish country music in the mm. background. Mm. That looked like, you know those, you know when you go through Sky and you, you go through all the movie channels and then you get to the crap ones at the end, like uh-huh. TNT, and it's like, there's always like these awful Christmas movie films that have got a budget of like 50 grand, <laughs> and they have a they have a wedding in the Scottish castle, and that's the music. <laughs> that was the music for the NBC open promo, and I thought, that is amazing, play that again, and they never did it again. Oh. So I think as soon as they played it, they obviously thought, my God, that was awful. <laughs> Let's not do that again. It was terrible, but so bad it was uh-huh. good. The RNA must have been on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> do not hear that again. What are you doing? What is this, you commercial partner? You <laughs> brilliant. 
Anyway, the graphic. I, I want to just get this out of the way straight away. But the the field goal graphic. Ah, amazing. Did you like that? Yeah, there were so many things that were hilarious and hilarious I was, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I was fuming at the red the red numbers as well. When you're in the red numbers, you're in the good numbers. That's why we say yeah. you're in the red numbers. Putting guys who are seven over par in a red number is confusing. Yeah, that's a prison sentence. Yeah, I mean, it, it, should, it should be black, should it not? Black or blue, right? They can't, or even stick flames behind it yeah, or something. You can't have a red number with a plus before it. Put a poo emoji next to it. Something yeah, like that. something. I don't know. That's a bit far, but yeah, terrible. Yes, it wasn't. It was responsible. I, I didn't like the the field goal graphic. I thought it was crap. There's only one person, evidently apart from you, who's looking at that thinking. That's a great idea. And that is Greg Norman. And that is enough about Liv for this week, if we can avoid it, which I'm not sure we'll be able to. No, of course we're not. Matt Fitzpatrick, let's go straight there. Now, I was watching Matt last night, and we'll talk about the way he played, because it was very impressive and deserves a lot of attention. I remember way back, right, so we were laughing at the top about his US amateur win. And I remember... After he won that in 2013, a lot of talk of, well, he's going to turn professional, isn't he? Of course he is. Strike well, the iron's hot and all that stuff. And I was smiling watching it when I thought about the aforementioned Russell Fitzpatrick's comments. Matt's dad said at the time, or shortly after Matt won the USAM, he said he had to go and get a university education. And here's why. If he turns pro after one year and it doesn't work out, and he doesn't have a degree... If he's just a flash in the pan, then what? Matt did go to university. He went to Northwestern, I think it was, in the States. Spent maybe a semester there and then decided, nah, I'm turning professional, Dad. It's worked out okay, Russell. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You don't need to worry. And what a performance last night. Just a, a, a thoroughly professional, dominant performance. And you can't underestimate the nerves he must have been feeling because he's never won in America. He's never done that. He's never tasted that. That's a big deal last night to stand up. And uh, his ball striking was just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Absolute world class. And uh, I did have the feeling that how how long is he going to keep this going? And he managed to do that while others didn't. I said before, I said last week in the preview, you need to play boring golf to win the US Open. He did. He wanted, his game plan was just to hit greens. That's the most boring golf in the world. That's what Harrington said. No one ever goes into a US Open thinking they're going to shoot the lights out. Harrington said, to win a US Open, you just need to turn up and play the most boring golf. Middle of the fairway, on the green. Hope for the best. Only shot two under last night. In in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal. But it was when it's a US Open. You have to just withstand all the pain and still standing at the end of the 72 holes, and he, I thought he was absolutely magnificent. I thought the type of golf he played was wearing out Will Zalatoris, who we'll come on to in a sec, but when you're playing alongside somebody who just isn't really making any mistakes, he hit 17 greens it's last hard. night. Yeah. That's really hard to deal That's with. That's Exactly. Not just that, he the world number one in the Masters champion hunting him down as mm-hmm. well. That's an even bigger deal. Ex- I mean, look at what that leaderboard was like I on know. Saturday night. Going into that final round, that's an impressive leaderboard. Uh-huh. I guess in the past we might have thought that Matt, I don't know if it's because of his diminutive stature or things like a, a poor Ryder Cup record and so on. You might have thought in the past, well, if anyone's going to wilt, it's probably he'll be one of them. Uh-huh. Not last night. Just no. looked 
in complete control of his ball and the tournament, more or less from the off. He looked very, very comfortable. I think there was a moment on the, was it the 15th or 16th green? He kind of ran close with a putt and he sort of turned to Billy Foster. It was it was a, a chance at a birdie and he got his par and he turned to Billy Foster and had a, sl- a slight giggle and Foster had a slight giggle and they were just quite relaxed. Yeah. It looked, you know, we sometimes look at people who think they're relaxed, but they're not. He genuinely looked seriously chilled out and I think that's the sign of someone that knows exactly what they're doing. And that's the benefit of Billy Foster. I think he's been there. I, I'm stunned. I mean, I'm well aware that he's only, that's his first major. But it is quite incredible to think that that is his only major. Because yeah, he's just, it's proper teamwork. And I think you said this morning, first time we sat down, that how cool was it for Patrick's dad to just start talking about Billy Foster yeah. straight away rather <laughs> than his own son? And that's the that was my first thing last night when the celebrations were happening. I just thought they were great scenes. They were like wholesome. Like his wee brother running over, ignoring his brother who's just won the US Open to go straight to Zalatoris to offer his, you know, condolences and that's just you said the words good people that I think that's brilliant. Yeah. That for everything that's happened in golf in the last five, six weeks, golf kinda needed that. That's the two minutes that we needed badly. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That and you're great. right, it was spontaneous. You know, you could tell that yes. you know Fitzpatrick's reaction, he looked completely speechless. Uh-huh. Just like, oh my God, this has happened. And I think it's that because the difference between the Masters and the PGA is that they're almost closed events. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Open and the US Open, anyone, that's, it's just something about the, I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's the romance of that that of is pretty is. awesome. See the amount of people that enter the US Open. It's absolutely frightening. So for him to come out on top, I think the way that he did it, the guys got in the bag, the family in the background, he beat the world number one, he beat who arguably is probably one of the hottest players in golf right now, Zalatoris. He doesn't, he, he does not look like he's going to be a one major wonder. He looks like yeah. he's going to compete because he, he's been there before. It's not, it's like he's come out, out the pack for the first time and one that's not the case he, he's a quality player Fitzpatrick he just hasn't managed to do it on the PGA Tour yet but that's a big that's seriously difficult yeah of course it is it's funny I got a, a message last night from a listener Sean Nellis he wanted to point out that Matt Fitzpatrick at the age of 27-28 has done something that guys like Ian Poulter and Lee Westwood have not been able to do and when you think about the careers that those two guys have had despite everything that's going on and all the noise it actually makes you realise, oh my God, that is a genuinely unbelievable achievement. English golfers haven't got the greatest record in majors over the last, no. what, 40 years or so? I think, of, you know, Justin Rose, obviously since Valdo, you've had Justin Rose, Danny Willett and Fitzpatrick. That's your lot in the men's majors. That's unbelievable, isn't it? When you think of the players. I know. Well, that's the whole thing. There's that English generation, and uh, this is going to sound terrific, but there's a whole English generation didn't quite deliver on the big stage a bit like their football team. Whoa! Oh my God. But you think of the talent on that scene. Guys like Paul Casey, Luke Donald, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood. There's a few more that just didn't quite deliver on the big stage. Mm -hmm. Westwood, you remember back to 2008 US Open, Lee Westwood 
was close. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, he, he's had so many chances. But listen, winning's hard. Exactly, that's it. You've got no divine right to win a major. No, there's so many guys, so many genuinely world class players that have not won a major. And to be honest, I've never really been that close. If you look at Poulter. How many times in his entire career has Poulter genuinely had a chance to win a major? I can only think of one really impressive finish that he had, and that would have been Brookdale in 2008. Yeah. And that was, he didn't really contend. It was no. a, a last day surge through the pack. And he was unbelievable in that last yeah. that, that back nine. But that's it. It's, it's extremely difficult to win a major. You have to turn up and play your best golf for four days, which is exactly what Rory is struggling with at the moment. He certainly is. Come on to Rory in, in two seconds. Firstly, Sheffield. What's going on there? Danny Willett from Sheffield. I know. Matt Fitzpatrick. Is, is Sheffield the new home of golf, Bryce? No. <laughs> <laughs> it now has more major champions than Japan, than South Korea, <laughs> than New Zealand. I know. It's just amazing. Great. Just brilliant. Very impressive. Rory, how do we sum up his week? Do we spin the positive? Is it another step in the right direction? I mean, top 10s in all three majors so far this year. Or is that a big chance blown? I don't think or it's is a big, it both? It's a bit of both. There's no doubt Rory is Rory is playing good golf. He wasn't the only one to not win yesterday, put it that way. And he would rather be where he is than missing cuts and where a few, few other star names were. My issue with Rory is that grinding is, is hard to do. I'm very surprised at... I wasn't actually annoyed he sat it around. It wasn't surprised me because he was only three off the lead, I think. Thought he played well on Saturday, just yeah, didn't hold a putt. Just didn't hold anything. But I thought his Thursday and Friday rounds, I thought there was a new Rory. Mm-hmm. I genuinely thought this is, he just looks, he looks different. He looked confident. Even when he wasn't holding the putts, he was bouncing off the green. He looked aggressive. Don't know. I, I, I honestly thought he turned a corner and then yesterday happens. <laughs> it's hard you know it, it, I think he big, made big mistakes when Scheffler and, and Fitzpatrick needed to hit that par 5 fairway on the back 9 they did Rory didn't I just there's little moments that he didn't turn up that hurt him grinding is a bit of an issue with Rory but he's not he's not out of it Rory's he's a much better player than he was a year ago and he's getting back I just think there's something going big going to happen with Rory in the next couple of years because he looks like that he just looks like he's a different attitude they turned stayed back last night to congratulate Fitzpatrick absolute class he's not downtrodden believe me that's a very different Rory from ripping his shirt and, oh, and yeah. stomping off and not talking to anyone that's a that's a different Rory last night his attitude is different and I think that will pay dividends for him. He's embracing the more senior role, I think, that he's got in the game just now. Yes. It's not a it's not a crutch or, what do you call it, a, a monkey on his back or anything like that. He seems to really revel in it. A bit like he did with the Ryder Cup. When you think back to Hazeltine, yes. you know, Rory suddenly became the big star and was the one that everyone looked to. And fine, he didn't beat Patrick Reed that day in, on the Sunday, but he handled it he perfectly. Handled it perfectly. It's sitting on his shoulders a lot more comfortably than it did previously. Yeah. He just looks like he's a bit more comfortable. But, look, how many players do you honestly think have got a chance at winning the Open at St Andrews? There could be 
what, 10, 15 within a genuine chance who all think themselves they've got a really, really good opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit You'll more of a... Of I'm, I'm not saying players are scared of Rory, but I think there'll be a little bit more attention paid to him now than there was at the start of this year. And that, you're talking about him turning a corner, being a new Rory. I think, fair enough, he's not fully there yet, but he's getting pretty damn close. And yeah. if he can just maintain it, that's... He doesn't need to find anything new for me at this point in time. He just needs to put four rounds together. Yeah. I, w- I would think a bigger story would be what happened to John Ran. John Ram, yeah. you know, it just that was a wee bit of a surprise. You know, people will say we're bashing Rory. We're not bashing Rory, but there's, <laughs> there's John Ram who didn't play, you know, didn't play that great. Morikawa had a bit of a, a blow up. I mean, he know. put himself in pole position, Morikawa. Yeah, there was Xander Shoffley. I wasn't even sure he was there. Brooks Kepka five over, non-factor. yeah. Dustin so, Johnson, at least he turned up on the Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Bryson, you know, Bryson, not great. So, yeah. yeah. All that said, uh, a very strong leaderboard, despite those big names not bringing their best stuff throughout. One of these big names, we're going to have to start giving him this credit. It's Will Zalatoris. Another incredible major performance. I, I'll hold my hands up. I said it on the show last week that I, I didn't seem as a factor at the US Open because of the putting as much as anything else fine great lag putter I think let's I discuss that, that. But I thought he had to I, I, I said it you know over the three four footers the cleaning up I didn't fancy his chances how wrong was as I? long as the ball goes in the hole it doesn't necessarily matter how it goes in the hole yeah but there is no doubt he's not comfortable because that's why the stroke looks like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a classic uh, slow motion footage of his his path. Now, on a on a putt, your path isn't always straight back and through. You yeah. can have a different, you know, an angle to your stroke. But his is like as as people say, it's like he's signing his name. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's the Zorro move, but with a yeah, putter. But this is the strange thing. I genuinely think. I, I don't know how you would explain this and I don't know the technical look for it but I I think he has the look of a guy who's got the yips but he's the only guy in history that has the look of a guy that's got the yips that appears to be quite a good putter still holds them yeah, yeah. he hit he hit them off the toe but he consistently hits it off yeah. the toe so it's almost like he knows the strokes a bit whiffy but it works exactly and he, look, he looks confident. And I like the fact that he bit back to a few people that were criticising him and so on. Listen, there are guys on tour that are a lot better putter than he are that would pray to have a stroke like that if it gets them in, you know, top twos and threes and top fives in the majors. Well, as you said, it's about the results. You yeah. Know, it's, <laughs> the stroke can be what it is. See if the ball goes in the hole. Who cares? Uh, this guy a couple of years ago was playing Corn Ferry. Mm-hmm. This guy is a phenomenal golfer. I mean, off the tee, he's fantastic. Deadly, isn't he? He's got everything apart from this little thing, which seems to be a wee bit of the fear. It's an idiosyncrasy, but lots of golfers have idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And the thing is, it's only a problem when it starts being a problem, and it's not a problem It's just not now. really a problem. He's missed a couple, but a few players have missed it. Rory's missed a couple. Oh, God, dang. But it's the manner in which he's missing it that's making people go, wait a minute. But they forget the fact that he holds a lot from three feet. Yeah. But I'm telling you right now, he has the look of a guy that's got the yips. But it appears to work, and I've got no idea how. Look at his major record. You go back to 2018, he missed the cut in the US Open. That was his debut. Since then, tied sixth, second, tied eighth, cut. He withdrew from the Open last year. Tied sixth, second, tied second. Do you know who that reminds me of? 
Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Brooks Kepka just turns up in the majors. Turns up in the majors. I like the fact that Zalatoris is doing it and doesn't appear to be, a, as the Americans would say, a douche. <laughs> somewhat of a different personality. Look, this is something that we, it's another golf cliche that we take the piss out of. You know, you want to try and peak four times a year. He's doing it. I know, but I, I saw somebody on Twitter say last night, and I thought that's a really, really good point. How much pain does it, does it sit in your head that you peak all the time, mm-hmm. but get nothing in back? That's quite difficult. And eventually that will hurt. But that's what happened to Mickelson. Mickelson, well, yeah. Mickelson was phenomenal in majors for years and got nothing. Absolutely nothing. 13 years from turning pro until he got a major win. Yeah. So, and then then he got six. Yeah. And then he got greedy. But fine. Oh. Zalatoris, only one professional win, and that is on the Corn Ferry. So you're right. There's maybe a question mark over his ability to close, but. He's putting himself in with a chance of winning. That's that in itself yeah. is impressive. I don't know. I, I think he will break through. I don't know if it's closing. I would certainly say. I mean, he's not really had like a five shot lead in anything like that. So I, maybe I know what you're saying, but converting I honest, from a winnable position. Yeah, I, I honestly like. thought that putt he had in eighteen. I thought that was dropping. Yeah. I honestly thought that was going in. It looked like it all the go. way. I don't really fancy his chances at the Open. St Andrews, those green complexes. Yeah. Mm. Don't know. We'll see. I, st- I was wrong last week. I'm prepared to be wrong at the, next month. At the end of the day, he's an absolutely world-class player. Without doubt, he's one of the best players in the world. He's playing some of the best golf in the world right now. I think he can turn up at St Andrews and have every right to be very, very confident. Okay, then. The golf course. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that woman in the Alan Partridge show this time. If I say the sky's blue, you'll say, but it's green, really. Ah, uh, well, yeah. it was green There's a little night. bit of contrariness, Mr. Ritchie. The course, <laughs> can we agree on that, at least? I'm going to give props to the USGA. I thought they nailed it. I genuinely thought they got it spot on. It wasn't tricked up. It was just tough. Yeah, no, I disagree. I it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic. Mike Wan had a tricky one because we said last week that it's quite difficult to set your course up exactly the way you want it. You know, they were watering the greens during the round and so on, and and there were a few people annoyed at that. Fine, see if they didn't water the greens during the round and it got it got crazy and away from them, they get they get pelters. Exactly, it's very very difficult to set that course up the way you want it to go. I thought some of the rough was brutal. I thought some of the rough was absolutely pinpoint. Round the greens, it was pinpoint. I don't think any player was really made to look stupid apart from Grace Murray. And when he was made to look stupid, I thought it was great. What are we giving that club throw that you're talking about in the final round? In terms of, like, there's two things we have to grade it on. Execution out of 10. I thought his execution, he had a, it didn't look like he had any pre-shot routine for mm. it. So I thought his execution was fine. But techniques, the other one. Technique was fine, but it lacked torque. I right. Think when you're yeah. doing a proper club throw, you need the torque in there. Remember, Sergio was that in that Dubai. Was there was a good, there was lag. He created lag and a bit of torque. Rory at the Honda Classic, and then unleashed it with the wrists. Yeah. There wasn't much of a follow through, and there was a bit of a like a rotor blade. A, yeah, good noise, and then a bit of whiff with the mouth. He was a bit annoyed. <laughs> Grayson Murray's was a bit more of a spontaneous, angry top javelin throw it looked like he was throwing the club for his dog to go and fetch yes there wasn't a lot of 
I he think, wasn't committed enough. No, and and also I don't know whether he had to go and get it afterwards. He did. <laughs> Walk of that shame. is brilliant. I once threw a club up a tree <laughs> at the what's the, what's that hole at Hilton Park? Nine, ten, is it ten at Hilton Park up the up the hill. No, thirteen. I think it is. And I threw it a club up the tree, and it gets stuck. And my dad was playing behind me. I had to get one of my pals to go up, climb up the tree, and get it. And one whilst, of your pals, Why yeah, not you, because I didn't want to go up. And and I, I when the when the, when the club was sitting at the top of the tree, I thought I'll just knock it down myself. So I, I took a glass bottle of Iron Brew out of my bag and threw it up the tree, and nearly hit my pal knocking it the tree, and I got the club back. But there's that shame <laughs> of having to return what you've thrown away. So the fact that you say you had to go and get it that makes me happy. That was good. And then he snapped one, didn't he? He snapped that club. Over his was knee. it that one? Yeah. Oh, was that after it? Fantastic. I think so. Yeah. So he didn't throw it far enough, collected it, still raging, over the knee. Yeah, yeah. He's a very angry man. He is, ve- he is very angry. It's a surprise he's uh, done anything in his career so far. Ooh. I'd love to talk more about the US Open, but I can't because time's against us. Oh, aye. We have lots, lots to get through mm-hmm. on this episode, as I said at the start. Just moving me to the side, yeah? I'm sorry. Oh, can't think why. Yeah. Well, coming up after the break, we have an interview with a very special guest. I did give this the the treatment on Twitter last week, maybe teased you with who it's going to be. There were a lot of suggestions, people thinking it's Greg Norman. It's not Greg Norman, although he has been on twice before. few people suggesting Tiger. It's not Tiger. <laughs> did, did you see the state of his leg, by the yes. way? Yes. Uh, not good. Go and check out the Bunker Twitter account to see... How Tiger's right leg looks. That looked like a hole. Yes. Someone else suggested old Tom Morris. That's impossible. That's it. Is it impossible? Well, it let's, could be the go- bring it in. Could, a- it could be the ghost of old Tom Morris. Yeah. That's actually a good podcast episode. Let's bring in like one of those mediums, see if they can connect. There's one downstairs. What? Kirsty, who works in events. Kirsty is training to be a medium. <laughs> I can't believe we're talking about this. But yes. Are you kidding me on? No, I'm not. She's training to do that. So Kirsty will be on next week's episode, or maybe the open preview when we try to connect with old Tom. Knowing our luck, we'll probably pick up Alan Robertson instead. But you know, we'll we'll give it our best shot. Well, he, the was, he was his boss, wasn't he? I think Alan Robertson was yeah, his boss. For a while, yeah, while, it's complicated. They fell out over balls. <laughs> anyway, true story. Look it up. <laughs> anyway, none of those. The special guests coming up after the break. None other than the multi-million social media followed. Paige Spiranak. Got a great chat with Paige coming up for you after the break. Before we get there, though, I want to give a huge shout out to Rick Shields. If you're listening to this, you know who Rick Shields is. He's, again, I'm talking about Paige having millions of followers. Rick has over 2 million subscribers on YouTube, the most followed golf YouTuber, and for good reason. The stuff's fantastic. But last week, Rick decided to take on an epic challenge in support of Prostate Cancer UK. He walked from Presswick site of the first Open, all the way to St Andrews, site of the 150th Open this summer. That's a monumental effort. As it worked out, it was actually almost exactly 150 miles, so wow, nicely done. It took him a good few days, and as I said, all in the name of a good cause, Rick has raised over £100,000 for prostate cancer. Amazing. On top of all the awareness that he's raised as well. I caught up with him when he was quite early in the challenge, struggling along willfully as he was attempting to leave Glasgow. I had a chat with him last week. Here's what Rick had to say. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm surviving, Michael, at the moment. I'm surviving. Um, we're in day three currently. I've just done eight miles of day three. Uh, so a long way to go still to the halfway point. But, you know, I'm, I'm coping. I've got some great support team with me. And uh, a lot of the time I'm just head down, following along, trying to keep myself busy. Remind us, why are you doing this? What's the reason? Why are you putting yourself through this incredible physical exertion? Um, I think a couple of reasons. First off, I do like to kind of use my platform to, to do good. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've got a fantastic audience and um, I think it's really worthwhile and something that I enjoy doing is, is putting myself through these things to bring the community together and to raise money for charity. I did a, I did the YouTube Golf Day back in 2019, raised money for prostate cancer. Uh, in 2021, I, I did the walk every day in February with my golf clubs on my back to raise money for mine charity. Well, I thought, right, let's go bigger this year. Um, and it kind of fit in quite nicely walking from Presswick, which is the first ever open venue back in 1860, over to St. Andrews, which obviously this year is host for the Open Championship. And then kind of, it worked out quite nicely that if we plotted it a certain way, it'd be about 150 miles to celebrate 150 Opens. Um, and then prostate cancer, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's that luckily touch wood, I've, I've not had anyone closely to me affected. Um, but it's more my audience, my audience, my YouTube audience, my social media audience is very male dominant and uh, potentially a, a, a high risk category of a certain age. So anything I can do to raise awareness, um, you know, and I've had loads of incredible messages on my YouTube and social media of people saying, you know, I've been affected or my dad's been affected or my friend's been affected by this at the moment or I've lost my dad um, because of this is definitely kind of making it all worthwhile. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of the reason for it. And uh, you know what? I'm really enjoying it. Good for you, mate. It's a fantastic effort and a, a really great cause in prostate cancer as well to not just raise money for, but raise awareness because awareness is so crucial, particularly when it comes to early diagnosis. We know the great work that's been done in terms of research, the great work the medical staff can do, but clearly, critically, that early awareness of the symptoms and signs of this disease are are key to survival and uh, full recovery in time, hopefully. You're doing all this with a, a bag of golf clubs on your back as well. It's not like, I mean, you could, it's not easy walking that distance, Rick, but you've made it even harder. Yeah, um, you know, I wanted to link it back to, obviously, my passion and love for golf. Um, and, and it's amazing how many people we've walked past on routes that have kind of joked to me and said, oh, you, you go and play golf or where are you playing golf? And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of jokingly say to them, oh, just St. Andrews. And the looks that they give me are like, they're like, what? Well, you're currently a long way away. And then, you know, I'll, uh, I'll spend 10 seconds explaining what I'm doing and suddenly they go, wow, that's amazing. So it's more of a talking point. Um, obviously, making the challenge a bit harder. Um, but yeah, it's more, it's more just a way of me kind of putting it all putting it all together the walking the golf clubs the walking from first open venue to 150th it's kind of putting putting kind of everything into one place really yeah yeah exactly 
And finally, look how you're keeping the spirits up. I mean, you sound in good form just now. You know, you, you sound really good, but there's, there is still a long way to go. So obviously the, the good cause you're doing it for is going to help and keep you motivated. But, you know, are you and the gang singing songs or listening to audio books uh, or what, what are you doing? Uh, I'm making lots of phone calls. Um, <laughs> funny enough, I've not spoken to my wife as much as I have done on the phone this week. I'm, you know, she's, she's going, wow, this is great. I can talk to you for <laughs> half an hour in, you know, <laughs> on the phone. So that's quite nice. And, you know, I've got support walkers with me. I've got, you know, we've got a live tracker going on as well at the moment. So a lot of fans have been coming and following the route, whether it's going past their house or their workplace. Um, and then just kind of positive messages online. You know, the, the fact that I've been reading positive messages, but I think it's going to get tougher. <laughs> you know, I'm on day three of six. I know it's going to get tougher. My, my kind of rainbow at the end of the trip is St. Andrews and my wife and my three kids are going to be driving up there on Sunday to meet me. Um, so that'll be that's massive encouragement. And we've had a couple of meetups where Presswick meetup, brought our people getting down. And Codder again yesterday, loads of people came down and we've got uh, Glen Eagles coming up on Friday where we're doing the meetups. So that's those little stop-off points and, um, you know, things just to focus on, take your mind off the pain sometimes definitely helps. <laughs> well, look, Rick, I, I can't commend you enough. What you're doing is brilliant for such an important, worthy cause. And I absolutely, and I'm sure everyone listening to this in the golf community as well, beyond, will, will tip their cap to you. So keep plodding on. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some nice celebrations in St Andrews come come Sunday night. So good for you, mate. Keep on keep on going. A few Guinnesses, Mike, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Here, by that point, Guinnesses. you'll have earned them. Yeah, good on you. Keep on going, mate. You're doing fantastic. Oh, thanks, Michael. Yeah, fantastic stuff there from Rick. As you could tell, he, he sounded a little bit weary. It was a couple of days into his challenge, but he struggled on, I believe he even had a stress fracture in his leg. A bit like Tiger Woods in the 2008 US Open. But he struggled on and made it to the finish line. Some really cool scenes in St Andrews last night. Go and check out Rick's social media accounts and you'll you'll see how cool it looked. But more importantly, look, if you want to donate, there is still time to donate to to Rick's efforts. So you want to go to justgiving.com forward slash rickshieldswalk150. So justgiving.com forward slash rickshieldswalk150. So you can go and contribute there. Well done to Rick. Fantastic effort indeed. And as I said, loads more to come on this week's episode of the Bunker Podcast in association with Callaway. Do not go anywhere. When we think speed, we think about speed tuning every aspect of the new Rogue ST drivers. Really? I just think about smashing it. When we think total power, we think of our tungsten speed cartridge. A what speed cartridge? I don't know, but I like what it does. When we think max distance, we think of... Oh, that's bomb! With our fastest, most stable driver ever, there's only one thing you'll think about. Smoked it. Bombed. See ya. Think speed. Go rogue with Callaway, the kings of distance. Welcome back, part two of this week's episode of the Bunker Podcast in association with Callaway. Paige Spiranak coming up in a second. Bryce. The fallout from last week's revelation, where I said that I'm very much anti-yellow golf balls. You're you're not a huge fan, but you're not prepared to ban them. I am not a huge fan. I want them gone. The fallout has been pretty much as predicted. Had a few messages on social media. Some people 
disgusted with you, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite, quite a few. Right. But I did like this from Stephen Baird, a listener got in touch and said, just finished the latest podcast this morning and I'm getting in touch, Ari the Coloured Balls. A few years ago on a work outing, I was out with a guy in my team who had these bright orange balls that were meant to be unlosable. This was his entire reason for using them. They were absolutely hideous. He then went on to lose the whole sleeve of these bright orange unlosable balls and has not been allowed to forget it. So I'm fully on board with getting them into Golf's Room 101. Thank you very much, Stephen. The campaign is gathering momentum. I can feel, I can feel that we're on the cusp of something big here. And soon there will only be white golf balls, Bryce. I think you are on your own on that campaign. Well, clearly not. Stephen's for it. You and Stephen are on your own in that campaign. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've teased it enough. Paige Spiranak, very excited to have Paige on this week's episode. Big thanks to our friends at ShotScope for making it happen. Paige is now a brand ambassador, Bryce. I'm sure you're perfectly aware. This is the second time that I've spoken to Paige. Spoke to her once before at Dundonald Links when she was taking part in the Ladies Scottish Open a few years ago. I say a few years ago, more accurately, a million followers ago. Yes. Her account is doing rather well, so very excited to have Paige on the show. Here's the chat now. Hello there, Paige. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm glad we can finally like reconnect again. <laughs> I know it's been it's been too long. Four years. Four years. I mean, back then I think we met up at Dundonald Links when you were playing in the Ladies Scottish Open as it was. And a lot of stuff has happened in those four years, hasn't it? Jeez. But uh We'll get to all that in a second, but first and foremost, I have to say a huge thanks to our friends at ShotScope for connecting us. You're obviously an ambassador now for ShotScope, page. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's a Scottish brand you're partnering with. We know the guys well. They're really exciting. They've got some cool ideas. How and why are you working with them, and what are the plans going forward with that partnership? Yeah, so I really love their products. And so uh, when they reached out, I was really excited. We ended up, you know, kind of working something out. But I I wanted to like, get my data. But honestly, like I hate wearing things like around my wrist when I play golf. And so like their technology was so cool that you can, you know, connect it to the range finder. And so you just have one device instead of having all of these devices on you trying to figure it out. And so I have really, I mean... As you know, we talked, you know, back when I was playing and I like honestly was so off on golf, had no passion for it. But recently I wanted to get my game a little bit better and I just started keeping my stats through shot scope and I was like, holy moly, I am missing so many shots where I thought it was my driver, but it's really your irons. And then I was like, well, my chipping's good. It's like, no, your chipping's actually not good. <laughs> <laughs> so that scope keeps me honest, um, but they're really cool. I really like working with them. We're doing a ton of really awesome content series. So if you check out my YouTube channel, um, I'm just kind of learning through the data and then giving you practice drills and how I'm trying to improve. And, you know, I think it's really cool that it's like I'm using their technology to get better. And I think we all want to just get better. And I think a lot of people don't, they don't know where they're losing their strokes. They're like, oh, so I'm not hitting it 350 off the tee. And it's like, no, no, no. It's because 100 yards and in, you're not missing, you're missing greens and you're double chipping. And so, um, yeah, it's been really cool to work with them. And I'm excited for like more things that are coming out. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, when you use a short scope, one of their products and you get all that info, you get that data and it tells you exactly where your problems are. 
it makes you more focused. It makes you more determined to even go and practice. Like I hate practicing. Standing on the driving range for hours just it bores me to tears. I, I just can't do it. But when you have something like that to work on, it makes you, I think, just determined to, you know what, actually, I'm going to get this figured out. I'm going to get it right. And from what you're saying, it sounds like that's had a positive impact on not just your own game, but your relationship with golf. It sounds like you're now back in a, a better place. You're, it sounds like you actually want to play golf again. Yeah. Where, where are you with your game at the moment? It, it, it like comes and goes. There are days where I'll go out and I, I'll shoot like a 66 or a 68 and you're, and I'm like, should I go play <laughs> professionally again? And then I like snap hook in the shit and I'm like, nope, I am good. <laughs> I'm just fine. I, I think I have a really like love hate relationship with the game. And I've been very honest about that. Even before I started playing professionally, I wasn't sure if I wanted to play anymore. And then I gave it that little bit of a run, which was um, like a very, traumatic experience for me because I had so many eyes on me and that your first year as a professional, it's kind of time for you to learn and to fail and to grow. And I never really had a lot of room to be able to do that because there was so much criticism on me. And so that really took a toll on my love for the game and just my relationship with golf. And it's taken years, honestly, to get to like a really healthy place where I can go out and play a fun round of golf and miss hit a shot and not be so upset about it where before it would really get into my head. But even sometimes now where it's like, I'm, I have to keep score or I'm playing, you know, like a game with my buddies and there's just like something about like keeping score for me that I still haven't quite gone over. <laughs> and so it's always like a work in progress, always trying to get better, but yeah, it like ebbs and flows, but I think everyone can relate to that too. It's just like, Golf just messes with you so much that you have those days where you're like, I love golf. This is the best game ever. And you have days where you're like, I want to quit. I, why am I putting myself through this torture? But that's what keeps us coming back. It's like uh, just this cycle of just torture. And we're all, everyone who plays golf is just so sick in the head. And we just love this. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good way of putting it, actually. You're right. And it, it, that love affair does come and go, doesn't it? But you mentioned there at the outset, you know, the, the criticisms that you got early in your career. And as I look back now, I think, well, what, what were they criticizing her for? And bluntly, it feels like the criticism was you can't be good looking and be good at golf. It's those two things can't go hand in hand. And it seemed like you just got such a hard time for really superficial reasons. Is, is that how you feel about it as you reflect? Yeah, I think looking back on it, a lot of the hate that I got Felt it feels very unfair. I do see now where the criticism is coming from because when you look at women in sports and especially in golf, they make pennies compared to the guys. And so for me to come out and not be established and to have these partnerships and to be getting these endorsements when I haven't proven myself, I do understand that. But a lot of people didn't realize that I was never signed on the tour side of things. I was always signed as like a media partner. And so I was doing media work to pay for my golf career. And so there was quite a mesh in that, especially I think when, um, like when I was with, back in Dundonald, I was with Callaway at the time. And people were like, it's unfair that she has a, a partnership with Callaway. And I'm like, well, I, I'm actually doing their media. Like I am not si signed on the tour side. Um, so a lot of people, again, got that mixed up. And I even think that, like a couple of the girls who were pretty harsh have reached out and, you know, said like, things fine. I think my intentions were always so pure going into it where I really just wanted to 
have money to be able to pursue this dream of playing professional golf. And I just so happened to be modeling and be very comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, even at that time, I really wasn't pushing any boundaries. I didn't feel like I was posting anything, you know, inappropriate or that was crossing lines. So yeah, it did seem a little bit unfair, but that's just kind of how golf is where there's, if there's something just a little bit different or out of the box, people are up in arms about it. I mean, remember even blade collars, the outrage with a blade collar <laughs> or how dare you. on a golf course. It's like these things are so little, but in the golf world, there are these massive changes because we're so tied into tr tradition because that honestly does, that's what makes golf so special is the tradition. So it's like, how do you preserve that, but also get progression? And so I think I just kind of got the short end of the stick where, you know, I was doing something a little bit different. Um, no one in my position was pursuing um, media, especially digital media while playing. And um, no one has ever really seen a, a kind of the my career, like no one's ever done that before. So I think it just kind of threw everyone through a loop. I, I can't really compare for, for obvious reasons, but I mean, like, look, I've got 10,000-ish Twitter followers and the DMs that I get, and I, I think I, I, I'm just a journalist, okay? I, I, just, I just put stuff out there, I put stories out there and occasionally offer an opinion. Some of the DMs I get from those 10,000 people, it's like, I can't believe an adult is writing that stuff. You've got 3.3 million Instagram followers, okay? So that's math I can't do in my head. You know, ten thousand divided by three point three. Put it this way: like for like, you're probably going to get a hell of a lot more DMs than I have. I mean, how tough is that psychologically to deal with on a daily basis? Like some of the stuff that must be said to you. So when I first started all of this out, again, I never wanted to pursue this. I was never like, I want to be famous. I want all the eyes on me. I really just did this out of necessity to make money for my golf career. And so I was really thrown off by having this much, much attention on me. And I'm actually just actually pretty shy. And so it, it took a while to get comfortable with it. And especially when I was playing and all of the DMs were about how I was playing and how badly I was playing. And so it's like, in my mind, I already knew that I wasn't playing well and I was already doubting myself. And so that's when it was really hard. It's hard when they hit on something that you're already insecure about. And so once I stopped playing golf and I just fully leaned into my brand and who I am and my media side, I really just let it go. And I like when I get some criticism now, because that means that what I'm doing is creating a reaction. And so that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to start conversations. We're trying to get engagement. And so you have to have around 70% hate and 30% love to grow and to get your content out there. And so I embrace it now. I like it. Um, I'm very honest about, you know, what I'm doing and the content that I'm putting out there. And I think a lot of people really like that authenticity and the honestness about what I am doing and the content that I am creating. And so the con the DMs that I got very early in my career were horrible, like really, really bad. And now they're more kind of like cheeky and fun. And I think that there's been like a really big progression of like just people understanding me more, understanding that this is like a bit, it's a joke, it's a character compared to like this person's trying to ruin golf. So <laughs> it, it has gone so much better. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got, I was getting death threats because they said that I was ruining women's golf and people were like, death threats, 
death threats, like people harassing me and my family and telling me to like, they wanted to kill me because I was horrible for women's golf and like putting the progression of women back a hundred years and like the most outrageous stuff. And people were so upset about it. And so now it's like, I don't I'll get, I'll get that like here like and that. there, but I mean, nowhere near to where it was when uh, I first started. You've, you've totally got me at a loss for words. Cause I think some of the things that get said to me, you know, like, are you a terrible journalist? And I feel like going into the fetal position and going into a darkened room and having a little cry, but death threats is next level page. That is, that's way out there. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's funny or sad, but I'm so desensitized to it now. I started this fun little thing on Thursdays on my Instagram, I call them Thirsty Thursdays, where I release my DMs into the world. And I, I keep it anonymous. I, I don't, you know, expose anyone, but I put one out and I thought it was very humorous. And people were like, that is disgusting. Are you okay? Is your like safety okay? And I'm, it was almost like a realization, like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for so long that I'm so used to seeing stuff like this constantly over and over and over again, that I don't even realize that that is like, like sexual harassment. I just think it's funny. And I think that's just kind of how everything is moving forward with this stuff. You just get so desensitized to it. You're like, another death threat? No big deal. Like, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Me. And no. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. I mean, to be able to dismiss it and not have it really heavily emotionally, psychologically impact you is one thing. But as you say, to be desensitized completely, that's not necessarily a healthy thing. You could see why a psychologist might come up to you and go, no, Paige, you, you need to have some kind of response to that. Yeah. But you know, it, it was really interesting because when I started to do that, I think guys were shocked by the DMs that I was actually getting. And so it really just changed everything around. And so since I started doing that, all of the messages that have been coming in are actually like really nice and they're funny and they're interesting now because I think they were truly shocked that like another human being can send that to someone else. And I don't think a lot of people just can process like what a lot of people deal with day in and day out. And I even get that sometimes when I respond to someone's tweet and then they'll message me later and they're like, I can't even deal with this. I had to delete my tweet because of all of the negative comments and all of this stuff. And like I said, I just block it out now because it's just a part of my job, part of like my way of life now. And it's just like, meh. We'll move on. Like, I don't read anything anymore. I will never Google myself. I try to, like, not look at the bad messages. Like, I'm so good at just scanning through and trying to find the good stuff. So, yeah, it's been a process of, like, learning and how to handle all of it. But you just almost have to have, like, a, a laugh it off approach and just be like, meh. Like, I don't even know that person is anyways. Like, nothing ever happens. Nothing ever comes of it. So they're, they're just trying to get a reaction and then you just, you know, brush it off. I mean, what does your family make of it? What, what do they say? At first, it was a huge shock to everyone. And I think it was really hard, um, especially for my mom, because she didn't really understand social media. And it was just like, why are you doing this? What's going on? Can't believe people would say this. And my dad you know, he would respond to people here and there on Twitter. And then we just got to the point again, where it's like, they call you a slut once, like, then you don't care if they call you it like a 100 other times, you know. And again, I think it's like, to me, this is a persona. And it's a very like exaggerated version of myself. And so all my friends and my family know me and I'm very different outside of this, you know, Paige Renee character. And so I think we're really able to separate it and go, okay, this is work. 
and you know we'll leave that up, you know in the office and then you know when you come home we'll, we're not going to talk about it. we're not going to talk about what people are saying we're just going to move on and so we've really found like a really healthy balance between both of them but it was hard definitely at first and there's still certain comments that you know some someone will say that my parents are like, did you see that? And we'll laugh about it now compared to before. We're like, oh, that person's just like so stupid. So um, they have a really great attitude about it. And I think a lot of people are like, your parents must be so disappointed because you're going on this path of being a professional athlete. And now you, you know, essentially use your body for likes. And it, it, it's, it's not that. I mean, I've actually built like a really successful, thriving business and that's what my parents see. They see that I'm financially independent, that I'm growing something that no one has ever done before, that I'm, you know, really pushing these boundaries. And so they're really proud of me and they've only ever wanted me to just be happy. But that's why I never post my family and I never post friends. And a lot of people are like, well, why do you, you know, keep your private life so private? Because of those reasons, because yeah. I don't want them to get attacked because I signed up for this, but they didn't sign up for this. And so it's just, you know, if you go to, a car Instagram page, you're not going to see pictures of that person's family. And, you know, it's me, I'm the brand. So I'm not going to be putting, you know, sometimes I'll post my mom because everyone loves my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but um, besides that, I always get her approval beforehand. And, you know, it's on things that people can't really comment on. So we have these little rules and things that we do. And they're, yeah, just super supportive. That's great to hear. I mean, you, you talk about like keeping private life private and, you know, having those I guess the line in the sand between work and not working. Social media though, I mean, I know myself just how tempting it is to pick up the phone when you're meant to be not looking at social media because it's your job. And next thing you know, you've spent half an hour, an hour, two hours scrolling through the endless vacuum that is Twitter or Instagram, and you've completely forgotten to switch off. I mean, how do you manage to switch off? So I put, limits on when I can use my phone. So when it hits, you know, eight or nine, depending on what's going on, if it's like a major week or a big sporting week, I do have to be on my phone all the time. Like, you know, even yesterday I was doing something else. I was working, I was recording my own podcast and I looked and I missed the John Rom interview. And you have to be the first one to post something because that's a lot of engagement. That's a lot of eyes. And so you do feel like you have to be on your phone 24 seven, because if you miss something, someone else gets it and you have to be the first one to post it. And so that's really hard. So it's like, I have my business hours that I'm working, but at night I noticed that I was spending hours on my phone and I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was just getting really in my head about everything. I was just so consumed with you know, work that I was never disconnecting. And so now I put my phone down, don't look at it, I'm trying to read, trying to get away from it, because I know that if I don't do that, I'm going to burn out. And with social media and how exhausting it is and all of, you know, the, it, you're overstimulated all the time that I have to set these boundaries or I will probably just not want to do this for another two, three years. So, <laughs> so you really do have to like think about it as work. And that's what I wasn't doing before too. I wasn't separating. I was like, I'm just on my phone scrolling all the time. It's like, no, when you're on your phone, you're there for a purpose. So you're looking for funny interview clips. You're looking for anything that there is. You're not just scrolling aimlessly. You have a purpose when you go on your phone. So that's also helped too. So when you are chilling out and you're relaxing and you're not paying attention to golf or social media, I mean, what do you do to escape? Are you are you a Netflix box set binger? You know, what, what, what do you do? 
I do like to watch shows. Um, I just watched We Crash, which was all about the We Work business. Right. Um, so it had Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway in it. It was really, really good. So I'll try to watch a show. Um, I'll try to read. I like to cook. What's your speciality? So I'm a really good baker. All I right. Like okay. baking. Yes. Baking is my specialty. I'm a, I'm a decent cook, um, but baking, like I make incredible cakes, cupcakes, cookies, like that's like my go-to. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't have much time to do other things or like have hobbies or see friends or family. I was just talking to someone the other day and I was like, Sometimes I just feel like life is passing me by because I'm so focused in on my work and what I'm doing. And I have my head down so much looking at my phone that I never like come up to breathe and actually experience life. So I'm really trying to have a work-life balance because that's something I've always really struggled with. And I am un very unsuccessful with it, but that is, <laughs> Aren't we all? Jeez. <laughs> that is a goal that I am trying to achieve maybe next year or the year after that. Exactly. That's always a New Year's resolution, isn't it? Jeez. Let, let, let's talk about a, a few of the players on tour then just now, a few of the big names. Tiger, not playing the US Open. So as we record just now, I should point out for, for listeners that it is the eve of the US Open Wednesday. Tiger's not playing at Brookline question marks over how much he's going to play, where he's going to play, if he'll ever win again. If you were to look into a crystal ball page and go five years down the line, has Tiger won again? Has he won another major again? What do you see for him? I think Tiger will win again. I think he's going to win another major. I know everyone is really disappointed that he's not playing in the US Open, but we failed to forget that he made two cuts after his incredible comeback. I mean, he made a cut at the Masters and he made a cut at the PGA, which Scotty Shepard didn't make the cut at the PGA. A lot of really big names didn't make a cut at the PGA Championship. So I think his game is still there and he has the desire. I wish that he, I wish that he was playing the US Open because when he's in golf, he makes it so much better. But I like the fact that he's resting up and he's going to go for the Open because if he has a chance to win again another major, it's going to be at Augusta or it's going to be at an Open. And I think that, you know, this – I don't want to say, like, this is his year because you never know, but I will never put anything past Tiger. Like, after that incident, I thought he was never going to walk again. Like, never play golf again. And within the same year, he's playing majors and making cuts. And he's just – such an incredible athlete that you just can never put anything past him. Exactly. You mentioned he's playing the Open St. Andrews next month. Have you ever played St. Andrews? I haven't. I'll put in a good word. I'll see if okay. I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Mickelson. Uh, I don't even know where to start with Phil at this point in time. But yeah, a lot of noise about him because of the, the Live Golf Invitational Series and everything that goes with that. You and I actually have something in common here, Paige. We are both blocked Block? by Phil. <laughs> I was say yeah. That. I feel like we should start a, you know, a, a support group. They you are know, like Fig Jam Anonymous. That could be us. You know, I'll I'll be the president. You could be the the treasurer. We'll we'll, we'll invite other people in. But I have to ask, what did you do? <laughs> Why did you get blocked? I don't know. And so this is the craziest story. So I met Phil like years prior. He was really nice. He came up to me. I was working with Mizzen and Maid at the time. And so he was like, that's really cool that, you know, we have that connection there. I love what you do on social media. And I was like, thanks, Phil. Like, you're awesome. And so you I gave always, him a thumbs up. No way. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how do you, I mean, you have to. And then 
Like a year later, I saw him at the Phoenix Open. Same thing. He walked by. Bones brought me a water. And I was like, that was really cool. And so, like, I always thought there was, like, like a fine relationship between us, like friendship or not even friendship. I, like, I don't know him. And those were the only two interactions that we had. And so when he won the PGA, I was like, let's go, Phil, like gassing him up, saying like the nice things about him. And I'm like, looking, I'm like, I can't freaking tag him. Why can't I tag him? And so I'm looking and looking and I click on someone else's tag and it says blocked. And so I kind of made a little bit of stink about it. So I was like, this is just so weird because I, if I should be blocked by someone, it should be like Bryson. Like I have publicly like criticized Bryson. Um, that's kind of it. Like I'm actually like fairly pro players. Like I, I try to see both sides of it. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've never said anything bad about Phil. And so I was like, I just like don't get this it's kind of upsetting. He DM'd me the next day. He's like, sorry, I don't know what happened. It just must have been like a glitch in the system. And I was like, hey, fine. Congrats on your PGA win. Next day, blocked again. What? Yeah. <laughs> and then not only that, but he blocked me on Instagram too. And I'm like, you know what? I am anti-Phil now because that is like a big shit, okay? Like, I don't deal with that. And so now I, I just say whatever about Phil because I think he, I think he's just a little... I'm sure I can just already see the headlines now. Paige says Phil's fake, but I think he is. Like, I, he just projects a certain way in his interviews, and then he's, like, thumbs-upping the fans. And yeah. I don't know. If, like, you care so much about the fans and what you're doing, why jump ship, you know? Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the weirdest thing about that, as you say, is the fact that he messaged you, said it must have been a glitch in the system, which, fair enough, I could understand that that maybe happened. Maybe he was scrolling and just accidentally yeah. hit, that, That's I can get it. That's plausible. Then to block you again for congratulating him on a USPGA win and then blocking you on Instagram. I mean, what, what are we calling that? Is that gaslighting? Is it ghosting? I mean, what what the hell even is that? I mean, I've been gaslit and I've been ghosted. I don't know what that was. I was just like <laughs> the weirdest thing. Like, just keep me blocked then. Like, I don't care. But I, like I said, I've never said anything bad about Phil until now because you know what? You block me, I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's open season. Like, what did you do to get blocked? Oh, a good reason, I guess. But I mean, it was when he was given all that stuff about, you know, the rules of the game are, you know, administered by amateurs, which is total nonsense. They're amateur golfers, but they're professional administrators. They, yeah. That's their job. You know, they're good at it. They're professional. And I, he was going on and on and on. And finally, I just screenshotted a clip of him at, was it Shinnecock, where he's chasing after the moving ball. So I've got mid trot as he's chasing it before he hits the moving ball and he just posted saying you know i'm not sure that phil is quite the advocate for the rules that he thinks he is and yeah literally within two minutes blocked so you know I think i've not lost much sleep though if i'm being honest no but i feel like athletes should be open to more criticism i mean it's it, you're, they're, especially like golfers i feel like we're never allowed to say anything about golfers because yeah. they just get so upset about it compared to like, look at other sports where it's like athletes are constantly criticized and asked the hard questions. And then even, you know, at the U S open with all the press conferences, they're like, stop asking me questions. Like you made this decision and these are the consequences of your actions. And you, you should, you can say like, I don't want to explain myself. That's fine. That's a good answer if you want to go that way. But we're allowed to ask you these questions. And I just think that they're a little, they're kind of babies about it. Yeah, babies is probably the word. It's a good word, I like it. If I was to give you a ticket to go to any golf tournament in the world, and let's say all the best players are playing, which at this rate is going to be 
well, maybe only the majors, the way things are in the world just now. You can go and watch any one player playing anywhere. Who are you going to watch and where are you going to watch them? Gosh, I wish I could go back in time to Augusta 2019 and watch Tiger play that final round. I, I mean, I was there. I, 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 don't, I didn't necessarily want to bring that up, but yeah, you know, that's fine. You brought it up, Paige, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just twist the knife a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but like that energy was something that was so special. I remember just watching it on TV and just having like goosebumps and crying when he won and i've never like experienced something like that ever watching sports before and to be there in person and with everyone running up that was just probably like the coolest moment i don't know if we'll ever see something like that again unless tiger wins again then i, I it'll be probably 10 times that probably yeah considering everything that's happened since then uh i, I hate to do this but i need to ask about live how much money would it take to make you go and play on the live golf invitational series Give me a number. No, I wouldn't do it. You know, you wouldn't do it people, at all. No, I, I wouldn't do it. And a lot of people are probably like bullshit. Like you would do it for a certain amount of money. But like I, I think about things in my career, and like I don't, I wouldn't sign up for OnlyFans because morally it just doesn't align with what I'm doing, especially like my career. And I could sign up probably today and make you know millions and millions of dollars. And so for me, it's not about money. And I, I think you have to do things for a bigger reason. You have to be passionate about it. You have to like love what you do and you can't just do things for money. And so, yeah, I think if you're making like a modest living for yourself, it is really enticing to maybe go over there and do it for a lot of money. But are you going to be happy in five years? Like money doesn't equate happiness. And I know it's easy to say that when I'm, you know, like financially stable, but I could be totally fine not making any more money and it, that's never really been my driving force. I think there's a few players that maybe don't share that sentiment, but we may have covered them already on this pod. I don't, <laughs> know. I don't know. But look, let, let's finish up. Let's look, look to the future. I mean, what does the next year, five years, 10 years look like for you? You, you say this is a business. So I guess you've got a business plan to, to some degree. So what's next? I, I that's a hard question because I think being in digital media, you never know what the next platform is going to be. And so you have to, it's always ever changing. So my next five years, the plan that I have could be very different if, you know, Instagram doesn't keep the way that it is, or, you know, we have TikTok now growing. And so I just have to be very nimble with what I'm doing. And the core of my business is keeping my you know, followers happy and entertained and doing everything to keep putting out really good content. Because if I do that, then I know they'll follow me wherever I go. And so it's building my relationship with my followers, which I hate calling followers, like the, the people, my friends, yes. <laughs> <I will say. laughs> my millions of friends. Um, that's always really important. And then starting my own different businesses, different ventures, um, doing more merchandise, just really just trying to grow and expand, um, just trying to up the content uh, across all of the platforms. And yeah, again, like I don't, I honestly don't know what I will be doing in five to 10 years because I mean, my whole life has completely changed since the last time we talked where, yeah. you know, I thought I would be playing professional golf and that was the route I was going to be going. And then, you know, it, it just changed overnight. So um, that's what's so exciting about the business that I'm in is that you never know what's going to happen next, but that's also the stressful part. It's like you've, take, you've taken so much time to build all of the stuff and then tomorrow could be like, Meh, no one cares about Instagram anymore or Facebook. Yeah. And so it's trying to make my business 
be sustainable outside of my social platforms. The door on playing professionally or playing at any level, is that firmly shut or is it slightly open? <sighs> like I said, like <laughs> sometimes when I'm playing really well, I'm like, I think I still have it, but mentally, I just don't know if I'm strong enough to play professionally. And especially at the level that these women are playing now, it is unbelievable, unbelievable, the, the level of golf that they're playing. And I just don't know if I, if I worked as hard as I possibly could, dedicate everything to it, I don't think I could ever be top five, top 10 in the world. And so it's like, why do something if you can't get to the level that you want to be and with you know my media work I am you know number one with what I'm doing especially like on Instagram so that's where my real focus is and I want to keep growing that but you never know maybe, yeah, exactly. maybe I'll mix it up get another little sponsor exemption can you imagine the DMs then holy shit oh but, uh, look, if, if it all goes to hell then you could always do baking professionally it sounds like you're pretty good at that as well so yeah, yeah who knows <laughs> exactly Paige it is always a pleasure to catch up it's great to see you again let's not leave it so long uh, for next time and thank you so much for, for joining Bunker Podcast thank you for having me yes indeed big thank you to Paige it's interesting Bryce I mean she does get a real hard time always has got a real hard time but there's just been, it's, it's, she mentioned it herself, there's just this change has happened in the past few years where she's gone, sod it, bring it on. And she's, I think some of her opinions are quite cool. She's quite forthright. She's not afraid now, I think, to say what she thinks for fear of reprisals. I think I quite like that attitude and why not? And she gets the backing of uh, a lot of the other girl golfers on uh, social, which I think is important because that's not the opinion we get for some of the Haters that she has, if you mention it that way. Rather a lot of haters and death threats. Have you ever had a death threat, Bryce? Uh, just from my mum. <laughs> if you don't tidy your room, I'll kill you. That sort of stuff. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that's very nice. No, it must be awful. You know, and to open up your social media every day and see that must be pretty tough. So she's thick-skinned. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, I'm, I open up a, a DM from... You know, someone who's following or not following me, and they'll say something like, I'd just like to point out the mistake you made in the third paragraph. I think you'll find that it's actually meant to be spelled this way. And I feel dreadful. It ruins my day. It's not quite the same as getting that. So I, yeah. I don't know how she's yeah. she's able to deal with it, but she is. And fair play to her. As I said, big thank you to our, our pals at ShotScope for making that happen. Go and check out the ShotScope website to find out all about their latest products. They are very cool. And as Paige said, they're probably almost certainly going to make you a better golfer for it. Okay, Podder of Merit last week was the US Open. I, I messed up so badly. Yeah, if you did. were listening last week, you'd have heard me labour, I guess, over the, pro the prospect of picking Matt Fitzpatrick. I was this close. I laid out the full case for why I'd pick him, and then I didn't. I went with Justin Thomas, who finished in a tie for 37th. Really poor final round. From Thomas, actually, yeah, not, not, not great. Wonder if he just ran it a bit of steam. Yeah, potentially. You, on the other hand, Bryce, you decided to take a bit of a gamble. As much as picking the Open champion as a gamble, you decided yeah. you just had, you'd have a feeling that Colin Morikawa yes. would show up. And to be honest, he actually he was fifth. Tied fifth, yeah. He actually didn't didn't play particularly well on the last day. Oh no, it was Saturday he didn't, he didn't play particularly well. 
But there we go. Good Still, week. tied fifth beats tied 37th. Price. It does. I got a point. You got a point. Yes. This, I feel like we should do something to mark this. I know. I think it's like cake or something like that. Yeah. Know. Not that I eat cake anymore. Oh, because you're an athlete. <laughs> yeah. But some something that would invigorate me in some form on a Monday. How, how do you feel? Tell me. No, did, did your dad think you were going to be a flash in the pan as well and wanted to send you off to college? But look at you now, winning points in the podder. My dad didn't send me off to college. He ordered me <laughs> to go to uni. And then when I when I took a year out and spent it drinking, he ordered me to get a job. So Well, there you go. He will be delighted, I'm sure, to see that you are off the mark in season five of Podder of Merit. It's as it stands. Bryce, one. Michael, three. Is it season five? Season five. It's 3-1 to me overall. I know you said that. Anyway, this week it is the Travellers Championship. We also have the BMW International Open on the DP World Tour where some of the live players are taking part. Really? Sergio, Keimer. Big news coming this week on the live front. I have it in good authority. Things are happening this week and big, big things. But no live players at the Travellers, Bryce, so... It's your honour for the first time in a long time. Who are you picking? Oh, I uh, I'm going to go with Sam Burns. I think he's still in good form. I played uh, with Rory yesterday. I was actually expecting a bit more from yeah, Sam in the final yep. round. But I think he'll um, whatever diddy you pick, he'll will <laughs> <laughs> have enough. No, I like I like his game. He, he's he absolutely rattles the golf ball. He's a cracking ball striker. He's got such a great swing, great move. I think he's a pretty confident guy and I kind of have to pick somebody in form. Are you confident that's a two-pointer that you're picking there? No, but he, he, he tends not to blow hot and cold. He just He's always there and thereabouts and I'm hesitant not to pick somebody who might blow hot and cold. You can be lucky, but that's why I'm going with him. Okay. A good field, by the way. I mean, I know Kepka's playing, Spieth's playing, Tony Finau's playing, Rory's playing... Spieth's defending champion, I think. Uh, Mark Leishman's been showing a little bit of form. Russell Knox, good to see Russell back in the field. Yep. He's had a, a, a tough couple of months. But another former champion there. Oh, it's, it's t- I mean, Denny McCarthy's playing. He did really well at the US mm-hmm. Open as well. Same as Patrick Rogers. I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm struggling. To not pick Rory? To not pick Rory. So, you are going to pick Rory? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, uh, I talked myself out of the right pick last week and I'm doing it again this week. I'm going with Scotty Scheffler, world number one, <laughs> coming in off the back of, me. of another a very impressive appearance. I said it this morning, I keep feeling like his purple patch has got to end and it's just not. So yeah, Scotty Scheffler for me, Sam Burns for you, Bryce. Bring it on. We'll finish up Honesty Box. The US Open likes to inflict pain on its players. Pain. Psychological pain. Golf is a sport that inflicts pain, psychological and physical pain on those who play it. So my question to you, Bryce, is straight up. What is the most painful thing, psychological or physical, in golf? (sighs) Do you want me to go first? Yeah. So... There is nothing, nothing in golf that hurts more than putting your hand in your pocket yeah. and the little pencil for your scorecards pointing up and it goes right underneath your fingernail. Yep. 
And the same with a tee. That's why I don't like having tees in my pocket. The physical pain of clipping your ankle with an iron is pretty sore. But the... It's like when you're knocking the sand off your uh-huh. soles and just... I don't know. I'm never in the bunker. But the the, the, na- <laughs> the mental p- the mental pain, I think, I always find just... It just does my head in is when you rattle a drive down the middle of the fairway and you leave yourself an easy wedge in like 105 yards in or something and you miss the green that hurts so how do you tend to miss that green are you knifing it through the back are you duffing it is it probably i I actually think from that distance i usually overcook it and that annoys you that i really can't stand that that actually really (laughs) grinds my gears I know the people saying like you know thinning one in the winter time and so on. That's brutal. That's sore, but I genuinely because you've hit a good shot and then you just do something really stupid mm-hmm. that annoys me, or you duff it. Yeah, don't like that. Those are definitely the most psychologically damaging things. Mm-hmm. Or missing, you know, if you leave a putt short, for example, you know, I, I don't mind if I knock a putt ten foot past. I'd rather not, but mm-hmm. at least I've got it to the hole. Mm-hmm. When you have it right on line and it comes up, you know, within a foot short. That's brutal. You ever been hit by a golf ball? No. I've hit my mum with a golf ball. Hit your mum with a golf ball? This was when I was about 12 or 13. We weren't even on a golf course. We had this little bit of land, still do, down near Colleen Castle in Ayrshire. There's a couple of caravans on it, a nice big open lawn. And I was bored one day when they were down there because they obviously have to go down and tend to the ground and cut the grass and, you know, watch out for trees and branches that have come down. So my mum and dad at that point, they were tidying some stuff up. I was bored as a typical you know, kid 13, 14 is, doesn't want to be there. And I found in one of the, the sheds where all the equipment was kept, I found some old golf clubs that were obviously my grandpa's. <laughs> I pegged one up, sliced it, and didn't realise that my mum was standing in amongst the trees down to the right-hand side, working away, and I smacked her bang mm. on the ribs. She was not happy. No wonder. She was very, very angry. Like, if that had been 12 inches higher, than you would have killed me and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But no, I've hit someone, but never been hit. Yeah, no, I hit a guy at Crowwood once. I think I told this story in the podcast a while ago. I hit a guy in the middle of the fair. I rattled one down the middle of the fairway, like miles, and uh, it bounced <laughs> literally six feet from him and hit him in the bum. I had to put my hand up and sorry <laughs> but I mean I shouldn't have hit my shot have you ever been hit by a golf ball yeah one of my pals thinned one and it hit me in the shin and it really stings does it aye it really stings my dad nearly lost his sight to a golf ball like seriously 40 years ago he got hit by a golf ball and some I think it was a Herald outing Sunday the old is it the entertainment editor of the Herald Andy Young I think Hit him with a golf ball. The Glasgow Herald Spring oh, Glasgow Herald. Uh, Killerment's by any chance, was it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I found out the other day my dad get ba- is, di- is technically banned from Kilmarnock Barassi oh, Clubhouse. Go on. Because they tried to get a drink. This is, I think this is another 30, 40 years ago. They tried to get a drink and somebody... <laughs> the barman tried to kick them out, and my gra- my dad grabbed a drink or something. And that was it. They all get kicked out. The, oh, the, like the, everyone from the Herald was kicked out. So I think if if the Kamarnik Barassi, if you're listening, any chance you could unblock my dad. So if I take him down for a round, he's allowed in the clubhouse. But I think he was banned. Jeez, yeah. oh. so it's like pictured above the bar. Yeah, do not let in. <laughs> Brilliant. Keep this thug out. Yeah. No, 
Uh, hit somebody with a golf ball. That's pretty sore. That's about as sore as it gets. Yeah. Let us know if you've been hit by a golf ball. I actually want to hear somebody articulate how that feels. You know, if you've been yes. hit full toss right on top of the, the skull. Tell us. I want not details. Some, was not somebody at Liv that got hit by a golf ball and the guy was floored? Aye, but it turned out it was all a bit of a... He, he went down like David Ginola back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ball hit him in the head. He jumped straight up and rolled about. And he looked like he was out cold. As it turns out, he was fine. I was just joking. Yeah. Got a signed glove. You'd think, with the amount of money that those players are playing for, they could give them a signed glove stuffed with notes. No, is it not something to do with insurance? That they, There's a reason why they just do that. There's, there, yeah, there's something to do with that. Like you can't give... Oh, is it like claiming liability Something, or something like, like that? that, yeah. Well, Brooks Kepka blinded somebody at the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's really depressing. That's a really low note on which to end. Thanks for that, Bryce. No problem. Thanks for coming. Appreciate no problem. it. Thanks. And that, yeah, that really is it for this week's episode. So huge thanks. Stop. See you next week. <laughs> huge thanks to Rick Shields for joining us. Well done again, Rick. Fantastic effort. To Paige Spirinac, to Shotscope for helping out. To you, Bryce, for as ever, your wonderful, beautifully articulated insights into the US Open. Thank you very much, Michael. And, and for bringing the joy. the death and the destruction and the blindness thank you guys for that and to Callaway for your continued support of this podcast as I said it's been a bumper episode thank you for making it all the way through if you have and we'll be back next week until then bye bye for now